Hey, I'm Ferdinand, and thanks for checking out the message today. We're glad that you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is to text RiverConnect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Last week, my voice was still recovering from the flu, uh, which was super fun and super enjoyable. I don't know about you, but uh, the flu, I feel like it's just hit harder this year than any other year. I feel like I hear more people going down to sickness. Uh, it has ravaged our household, if you have not heard, uh, for uh, eight days, Meg had like 101 plus fever, my wife Meg. Uh, and so that was super fun. And then we had a week reprieve where I disinfected the whole house and fumigated and, and uh, you know, tried to cast out whatever sickness was there. And then I thought after a week that uh, it, I had made it through, that my immune system was strong enough. And then, of course, uh, I went down and was down with the exact same thing for a whole nother week. So it has been fun times in the Dean household with sickness. And I'll be honest. Uh, if, if it was me, if we, if we were going back and doing it again, I would much rather be sick for a week than have to play nurse to my wife for a week. All right. And, and I'll be honest, it has nothing to do with her. Okay. She did not make it more difficult on me. You know, she was very, she was very good. Honestly, she just slept most of the time, and I was the one that was forcing her to drink and eat and take temperature and medicine and all these different things. But honestly, that was much harder than being sick, right, and laying in bed, right? Serving her, taking care of her, waiting on her, because not only am I doing everything that I normally do in my life, not only am I taking care of the multitude of animals that we seem to have in our house, not only uh, am I taking care of her, but everything in my world goes on pause. And when you say it like that, right, it sounds very selfish. You're like, Justin, come on, you couldn't suck it up for a week? And I'm like, yes, yes, I could. But the longer and longer that it goes, the harder and harder it gets, right? Because serving your family members is difficult, Right? We can kind of get through it, right, for a week when we see them sick and we see them hurting, right? Our heart breaks for them. We care for them. We love them. And so we put everything in our life on hold. We take extra responsibilities because we love them and we want them to get better. But once things go back to normal, all sense of serving goes out the window, right? I, I, you, you can figure your life out, right? And there's this period of time, I, you know, I'll share a little bit in our life where, where I had to, like, Sit down with Meg and be like, hey, I'm not going to bring you every meal to bed, okay? Just a, a reminder. And she's like, I know. And then I felt guilty, right? I'm like, wait, not that I should be doing that, but like, why couldn't I serve you more, right? And as I looked at these passages that we're going through this morning, I was more and more convicted of my lack of heart to serve specifically when it came to my family, right? I, 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 as a pastor, I talk about serving all the time. And if you have a problem, of course, I would serve you. But when it comes to my family, they, they got to figure it out themselves, 
right? And for you, that might be the case, right? Some of you, I can already tell, you're thinking the exact same things that I think. You're like, oh, they got to figure it out themselves. Unless they're dying and in bed, they got to figure it out themselves. But the thing is, Scripture is very clear about serving. And when it talks about serving people, people means all people. And you know who that includes? Your family. And so this morning we're going to look at what it means to serve and specifically serve those in our family. And I know some of you hear that and you're like, all right, I, I got to get the car started, right? We're getting out of here. This is the last sermon that I want to hear this morning. And I would say, hold on, hold on, hear out the words of Scripture before you tune me out. But let's pray before we do that this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts. Lord, you'd help us not to say, oh, this family needs to hear this, this sermon, or this family member needs to hear this sermon, or my spouse needs to hear this, this sermon, Lord. But I pray that we would look inwardly, and we would allow the word of the Lord to change our lives this morning. Lord, in your precious and holy name, Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me to the book of Ruth. We've been, uh, last week, Mark had the privilege of kicking off our series in Ruth, and, and I, I've been really excited about this series. I love Old Testament narrative stories. And you may look and say, Justin, well, why do you like stories? And, and, and it's because if you know me at all, I just love storytelling. I love the idea of looking at a story and seeing how it progresses and then seeing what that means for me. And I honestly, as I looked at uh, telling the story of Ruth, I was like going to get like a big red chair and sit down and say story times with Pastor Justin, right? And do the whole Ruth, read the story to you. But it, it truthfully is, it is a beautiful and wonderful story, a historical story that we find recorded in Scripture. And you may say, well, why is that important? Well, in the Old Testament, stories like Ruth are recorded because it helps us to see the history of God's people. And as we are now made God's people through Christ Jesus, it helps us see the history of God's faithfulness and sovereignty to his people. But it also helps us to glean truths from things that have happened in the past. And, I, and I'm really excited about this story because it specifically has a lot to do with our families. It has to do with our siblings. It has to do with our in-laws. It has to do with our spouses. It has to do with our families. And that's why I love this series because it is so applicable. It's applicable to all of us in whatever type of family dynamic we have. And so... Last week, like I said, Mark did a fantastic job of kind of giving us the background at what, would ha what had happened. And if you weren't here, kind of the, the, the intro to the story, basically it's just tragedy, right? Everyone had died. All the husbands had died. And what was left was Naomi and Ruth. Uh, and, uh, and they were left there without any husbands and trying to figure out what they were going to do in life. They were in a foreign land, or well, technically Ruth was from, from, uh, from that land, but Naomi, her mother-in-law, was not. 
And so there's this situation, right, where Naomi was going to go back to the land of Judah, to the land of her people, and try and figure out her life there, right? She was too old to get remarried, and so she just kind of figured out, all right, I'm just going to be a poor beggar widow, and I will go back and suffer miserably, and my daughters-in-law, they can get remarried and figure out life. And I, I love this idea of Ruth, right? Ruth's stickiness. That's kind of what I call it, right? She, she was a very sticky person. And when I say that, what I mean is she was loyal to stick to her mother-in-law and stick to the Lord. Even in this situation, right, where she didn't really know what was happening in the future, and she had a very unknown idea of what lay ahead for her, and she knew it was most likely incredibly difficult being a widow herself, going to a foreign land. She knew things were going to get easy, but she stuck to it. She stuck to her family, and she stuck to the Lord. Right? And we talked a little bit about that, what that means for our family. But really, this picture, the whole picture of the story of Ruth, it shows the sovereignty or the, the control that God has to redeem a family and ultimately the nation of Israel through a love story. And you say, well, okay, I get how it redeems the family, but how does it redeem the nation of Israel? Well, through this time, right, the nation of Israel is experiencing extreme judgment. Judgment. They had no king, and they had no good king. And who was this good king that was coming? David. And who is the in the lineage of David? Ruth and Boaz. And so there, this picture where you look at this microcosm, this small family, this intimate love story that happens between a godly woman and a godly man. And from that, salvation and redemption happens, not only in their family, but in the nation of Israel, right? There is this incredible picture of God's sovereignty. And so here in Ruth chapter 2, where we're going to be reading this morning, the, the heart of the story, right, kicks off, right? That was all kind of background, setting the stage, giving you kind of the background information, letting you know what's happening. And so in, in Ruth chapter 2, this, the meat of the story happens when Ruth and Naomi, they finally arrive in the land of Judah. So let's take a, a look this morning, starting in verse 1. It says this. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. You could say that ten times fast. Whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And so Ruth and Naomi, they, they get back to Naomi's homeland, and Naomi kind of drops the classic, I know a guy, right? We're here we're trying to figure out what it means to live. We're trying to figure out we have no food. We have no provision. I think I know a guy, right? And so she, she talks about this man named Boaz who is related to her husband. She's heard that he's a very godly man. He's a very kind man. And she says, you know what? He will probably show favor on us. He will probably live in the ways in the land that he's supposed to live. And honestly, he'll probably provide for us. So go and glean in his fields. 
And the word glean, uh, we kind of use it now and again. I already used it in my message, right? Glean, trying to pick up information is what it's usually used for now. But originally this idea of gleaning is something that is actually laid out in the Old Testament in the law given to the Israelites. And the purpose of it is it's designed to provide for the widows, the poor, uh, those who, uh, who are sojourners, who are foreigners in the land. So basically what's happened is uh, when you own a field, right, and you hire uh, these, these farmhands to go through and harvest your field, uh, anytime they're harvesting and they drop something accidentally or, or, or something gets knocked over and falls on the ground, they're told to leave it. And just leave it where it falls and just continue to harvest. And the idea is then after these field hands go through and harvest, there is naturally some of the food, the grain, the wheat, whatever they're growing, still left on the ground. And so the, the, these poor, the sojourners, the widows, the orphans, they can follow behind the harvesters and they glean. They pick up what was left and they have sustenance. And it was this very beautiful law that was given to the Israelites in Deuteronomy and Leviticus to help provide for those who did not have. And so Naomi says to Ruth, she says, hey, there's this guy named Boaz. He's a godly man. He is probably following the, following the Lord's commands. And so go and glean in his fields. Go and follow behind these, these workers and get food for us. It's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. But that's kind of how we're going to survive. And it's probably not going to be good food, right? It's been laying on the ground. It's been trampled. It's been in the sun. It's probably not the first pick of the food, right? That's not getting dropped. And so go and do this. And Ruth does, right? Ruth, Ruth does this faithfully. She goes and she gleans in the field and she does this difficult and, and, and just really hardworking task to go and provide not just for herself, but also for her mother-in-law who is too old and can't, can't do that. And what ends up happening is Boaz, right, this man, he begins to notice Right? As he's watching the field, he sees this young woman who's a foreigner, and he starts to think to himself, why is she here? Right? He, he's like, here is a young woman of marrying age who is a foreigner in this land and could kind of figure out how to do life. Why is she gleaning in the fields? Right? Why isn't she back in her homeland? There's not like a drought going on. There's not like some massive catastrophe that I know that's going on in Moab. Why is she here? And like, shouldn't she be out like finding a husband? Like who could provide for her? Like, you know, she could be marrying someone and she would not have to be doing this. So why is she here? And so he starts asking around. He starts asking his workers. He goes, who's, who's that young woman over there? And they tell Ruth's story. They say, hey, you know, she's from Moab. Here's what's happened in her family. She came back with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she's here trying to provide for her so that she can be taken care of. 
And he sees her heart. His eyes are open to the incredible heart which she has. And he describes it when he's talking to her in Ruth chapter 2, verse 8. So skip down to, to verse 8. He, he actually goes and he addresses Ruth. He says, here's the deal. I see your heart, and we're going to do some di- things differently. And this is what he says. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have, you fa- why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice on me, since I am a foreigner, right? This was an incredible honor, right? She is kind of the lowest person on the totem pole, societally, right? And and he goes to her, and not only does he say, all right, you're going to be like the first one who gets the pick of everything. You are going to be the one who is actually taken care of. I've told my guys to make sure that they don't say anything to you. If you take something that's actually the best, they won't say a single thing. And in fact, when they draw water, they're going to pull enough water for themselves and for you, right? He was honoring her with all these different things. And it, it wasn't because he's like, you're good looking, right? He wasn't out there trying to schmooze. He wasn't out there, you know, trying to find a wife. No, he describes exactly why he has looked at her and said, you are worthy of honor. He says this, verse 11. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He saw her heart to serve people, right? He saw her heart for her mother-in-law. He saw her heart for the Lord and how she was willing to give up the easy path. She was willing to give up comfort. She was willing to give up her natural home life because she said, I need to take care of you. You don't have a single other person in this world. I want to take care of you because I love you and I want to go with you because I want to know the Lord better. There's that stickiness, right? And that stickiness led to her serving out of a genuine love and kindness. Because she had no regard for herself. We are called to be a servant like Ruth. Let me say that again. We are called to be a servant like Ruth. When we look at this story, right, 
We see this, this woman with this incredible heart of service and love and kindness and devotion and loyalty. And we look and we say, incredible. That's where we should strive to be. Right? We look at that and say, oh, that's unattainable. Right? I could never care for my mother-in-law like that. Right? But that's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to serve. This is supposed to be a picture, an example of how we are called to live as servants. Ruth is this beautiful example. And here's the thing. There's an even greater example in Scripture of service. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul is describing how Christ Jesus is an example. And he's specifically talking about the service, the way that Jesus was a servant, right? He came, he had every right to be king, he had every right to be Lord, he had every right to have all people bow down before him and worship him and bring him food on platters, and that is not at all how he lived. And he talks about it in detail and says, this is not just like a oh, attaboy Jesus. It's a let me live like that. Philippians chapter 2 starting in verse 3 says this. Do nothing from selfish ambi- ambition or conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests. But also the interests of others. And there's this. Then there's this beautiful picture that he paints right here in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's this beautiful picture, this beautiful example of how we should live as servants in the very core of the gospel, right? We lived, and we lived sinful lives, disobedient Living separated from God because of the things that we chose to do. But thank God that Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Right? Coming and being born on earth. The very thing that we celebrate on Christmas. We celebrate on Christmas the birth of Jesus. And you know what that is? That's Jesus Christ being born a servant. He's born a servant in our likeness, living as both God and man on earth and continuing to serve for 30 years as a carpenter, as living in mission, as as a prophet, as a teacher, as God on earth. Living a perfect life, not giving in to sin, not giving in to temptation, even when he's tempted by Satan himself. 
And then he goes to a cross and he dies on the cross so that you can have salvation. So that through confession and through confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that he is Christ Jesus and that he is risen from the dead, you can have salvation. You can have forgiveness. And only through that. And then he rose again, granting us that life, showing that he had the power to pay the debt which we had incurred. That's all service to you and I. Nowhere does, does Jesus get anything out of that deal. Nowhere does he expect anything out of that. Nowhere is there selfish ambition or conceit or counting himself more significant than us. All of it is in our best interest. He is the perfect servant. And Paul says, live in that example. He says over and over and over in Scripture, you've seen pictures and pictures and pictures of people who have lived godly lives and the way in which they live was not these glorious things on a stupor, on a pedestal for everyone to see. He said they were down and they were serving the people around them. They were serving others. And others means your family. Others means your family. A lot of times people ask me, they're like, Justin, where do I start? Right? You've talked to me about this whole loving, loving people thing. You've talked to me about this whole sharing the gospel thing. You've talked to me about this whole serving people thing. Where do I start? I get a big grin on my face because I know that you're not going to like the answer that I have. It's your family. That's where you start. Because here's the thing. This is a very hard line. And, and it, it was hard for me to write, honestly. If we can't serve our families, the people who we say we love and care for most in the world, how can we ever expect to serve anyone else? Let me read that one more time. If we can't serve our families, the people that we say we love and care for most in the world, how can we expect to serve anyone else? Here's the truth that we see in Ruth, and that we see extended in Philippians chapter 2. When we serve our families, we serve the Lord. When we serve our families, we serve the Lord. And that's not just your spouses, right? That's difficult. That's, that's serving your kids. That's, that's serving your in-laws. That's serving your siblings. That's serving your parents. Now it starts to get even more tricky, right? I don't love a lot of those relationships. There's some hurt in a lot of those relationships. They don't serve me. Man, did Ruth say that? I'm sure things were tough. I'm not sure Naomi was doing a lot. We surely don't see any of that in Scripture, right? We don't see any of Naomi's side of the deal. 
we have to live out that service in our relationships. And where that starts is actually described in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4, right? The very way that Paul starts that out. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Man, that is extremely difficult to live out. Because here's the thing. When we serve, when we do things for the people in our family, a lot of times there is a selfish expectation that's tagged onto it, right? If you look back to like when you were a kid growing up, right? Some of the students in the room will definitely identify with this, right? When you're like, oh, my friends, they're getting together at my friend's house tonight, and I really want to stay the night over there. I really want to go hang out. So how can I get a yes for mom and dad, right? And they're like, all right, I got my list of chores. I'm going to do all of them plus one, right? <laughs> and then the expectation is like, all right, I buttered mom and dad up, and like they'll probably say yes, right? As like funny and joking as that is, that's truthfully doing that whole the, that whole service project, whatever you want to call it, out of selfish ambition. You're not doing that for any other reason than you're trying to get to go over to a friend's house. And we have that fun example, right, from when we were kids. But then we do a very similar thing now, right? When it's like, all right, the boys are getting together to watch the game, right? And I got to get over there. So I'll do like... The dishes, and I'll tidy up around things, and then I'll watch, like, one show with my wife. And then then I can get over there and, like, check all the boxes off the list, you know, like, or, like, whatever you want to do. You know what you do. I don't need to tell you. You have things. It's like, hey, I want this, so I do this. That's not serving. I, I, I really love you all. That's not serving. And I do it too, so I'm not, like, on the other side of this. I do it too. But what serving is, the first part of serving, when Paul says, all right, we're going to boil this down to what is the foundation? The foundation is, it's not about you, it's about caring for someone else. It's not about your selfish ambition, it's not about your own interests, it's about Caring about the interests of someone else. Man, think about that this week as you do things. And it's not, oh, because I want my, this person to be in a better mood. That's still selfish. When there's expectations tied to it, that's not selfless. And that's difficult. We can't serve transactionally, especially when it comes from our families. You want to know why? Because everything has an ulterior motive. And it's really hard to believe the best about someone when you believe they have an ulterior motive. Man, when I watch shows 
And I see an interaction between a kid and a parent where the kid does something nice to the parent and the parent immediately looks and says, what do you want? That breaks my heart. It's funny, but then there's a piece of me that goes, man, there's such a breakdown in the service and love in that home that even something basic that's done out of love and care is met with, what's the expectation? What's the transaction? If you want peace in your home, if you want love and care to reign in your home, you have to set the example of serving without expectation. Don't serve to pacify. Don't serve to, to, because you hope someone will see it. Don't serve for anything other than, man, I love you. And I want your day to be better. I want your day to be a little easier. This needed to be done, and I knew you were going to do it if it didn't get done. And I just couldn't have that. Man, it is difficult. And I say, there's a million things that I could talk about about serving this morning. We could be here until the Super Bowl starts, honestly. But I think, truthfully, this is where I see the truth in Ruth shine. This is where I see that very core principle that Ruth lives out in verse 12 shine. Right? Exactly what Boaz says. He goes, you weren't expecting any of this. But the Lord has gifted it to you because he has saw your heart. Verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ultimately, the Lord provides that reward. You may not see it immediately in your family. You may not ever be thanked for it. But you will be rewarded according to the Lord. That may look different. I'm not promising whatever. But I am promising that you will see a reward, whether here or in heaven. And so the question comes, How are you going to serve your family this week? You know, I like to leave you with a question every week, right? To wrestle through. I encourage you, live this one out. Like, really go home and say, how am I going to serve my family this week? How am I going to serve my kids? How am I going to serve my parents, my spouses, my in-laws, my siblings? How am I going to do that this week? And get creative, right? It doesn't have to be always doing the dishes. There could be some really fun ways that you can care for your spouse this week, that you can serve them. Or parents, there's some really fun ways you could serve your kids this week. Don't do their homework, though, right? (laughs) Some of the students in here are like, why do you have to say that, right? But kids, figure out a way to serve your parents this week. Or serve your sibling. I know. Figure out how to serve your family. And I'm glad you're laughing because it should be fun. 
You should look forward to do this as a family. Say like, oh, we should have a great week this week serving each other. It should not be a, oh, Pastor Justin told me I had to do this. It should be fun. It should be exciting. That's what family month is supposed to be. How can we as a family love each other better? How can we look to the principles of Scripture, <laughs> scripture and use them to love one another? So this week, I ask you that question. How are you going to serve your family this week? Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, we love you. Lord, serving can be really difficult. Lord, because it's putting away what we want and looking to the needs, to the wants of other people. We don't always love to do that. And that gets, that gets hard to do day after day after day. And it gets hard to not sneak in selfishness, Lord. But I pray that you would challenge us this week. That you'd give us strength to resist the temptation to get frustrated or to have expectations. Lord, you'd give us the energy to serve our family members even when we've had a long day. Lord, and I pray that you'd give us joy as families because we love each other and we love to serve one another. Lord, and I pray that you'd help give us ideas. Lord, you give us minds to think and minds to be creative, Lord, and I pray that we would use that creativity to get creative in the ways in which we love our family members. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the things that it teaches and the truths that we can see through history and through your word. Lord, we love you. In your precious and holy name, Jesus' name.